All right, Proverbs chapter 3. I'm just going to go ahead and begin reading right there at Proverbs chapter 3, and then we'll, we'll get into the, uh, the sermon this morning. Proverbs chapter 3, um, verse number 1. The Bible says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart, so shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. It's not many verses there, so I want to, I want to take the time and read through them one more time, and then we'll open in the word of prayer. The verse 1 says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt, thy, so, so shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are this morning. We thank you for who you were yesterday, tomorrow, and forever. Lord, we just, we love you, and we're here to honor you. We're here to hear from you. Lord, I pray though, that you receive our worship and song and in sermon. Lord, all that we are this morning, may we be yielded to you. Help us to, to take these words, these words that were written so many years ago, Lord, and apply them to our, our time today. To, to our hearts and our minds, to us individually, as families, as community, as a church. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, be with, be with the children across the way. Lord, be with my wife as she teaches them. Lord, I pray, Lord, uh, that you are high and lifted up there as well as you are here. Lord, be with Axel later on with the Bible Christ. And Lord, and we just thank you again uh, for you. We thank you for the cross. And Lord, and I pray, Lord, as we, as we begin this moment of time, Lord, help us to ignore the world for a moment, to ignore the things of this morning, to ignore the agenda for tomorrow, Lord, and help us to focus solely on you. And in your precious and holy name do we pray. Amen. Amen. So here we are in the book of Proverbs with some familiar passages, I think, uh, to some of us in the Old Testament here. And I want to read you a couple other passages in the Old Testament. You don't have to turn there. Actually, I think I have it up here. Uh, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7. The Bible says, Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. There in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7. And then also in 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16, the Bible says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That all manner of conversation speaks of in every communication that we send out, whether it's verbal or nonverbal, in all manner of conversation we are to be holy. Why? Because it is written, reference back to Leviticus 20, verse 7, be holy, for I am holy. In the Old Testament, the word holy means sacred. The word holy means set apart. Not much different in the New Testament. It means physically pure, morally blameless, consecrated, and of course, set apart. In other words, God is saying that He is set apart. And we all know this to be true. It's not any new revelation for us this morning. God is set apart. He is perfect. He is pure. He is holy. He is sinless. But as His children, we must also be holy. 
right out of the text here. We are to be holy people. God wants us to be holy. So much so that he not only enabled us to be holy through the person of Jesus Christ, he gave us the greatest example of holiness in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Romans 8, verse 29, the Bible clearly states that we as Christians, as believers, as believers, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, who, of course, is the definition of holiness. But even though God rightfully demands his followers to live holy lives, living holy is also the remedy to many of our problems, many of our trials. Living holy will help you focus in the right direction, help you focus on Jesus Christ. And as that song we talked about, we look into the face of Jesus, the things in this earth tend to grow a little dim. And in Proverbs chapter 3, I believe we have precise instructions on how to find peace and grace and direction and other things, even God's blessing. And the very first foundation, I believe, that the Bible teaches, that we see a glimpse of here in in, in Proverbs chapter 3, the very first foundation that must be laid is the personal faith in Jesus Christ. The foundation of a faith in Jesus Christ. Notice the first two words of Proverbs chapter 3. My son. My son. Now I realize in context this is probably Solomon referring to his son in the flesh or son in the faith, but these words easily transcend King Solomon, at least in application. Because as New Testament believers, you and I, we know that a greater than Solomon has come to this world. His name is Jesus Christ. And therefore, the primary key to holiness is sonship. Sonship. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. I love the phrase that the Son of God became the Son of Man, so that the sons of men can become the sons of God. I love that. So, but this love that John talks about there in 3.1, Behold, what manner of love, and that title, Son of God, it only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So each one of us, with all that we are, we're going to stand before God. We will stand before God, who is pure holiness, pure just. All of his attributes are equal and they are perfect. We're all going to stand before him, every one of us. Not you and your wife, not you and your husband, not you and your children or your parents. By yourself before a holy God. Now we can stand before him on our own merit or we can stand before him on the merit of his son, Jesus Christ. We can stand before him as a stranger who never knew him or as one of his children, as one of his redeemed sons. The choice is ours. And choosing Christ results in our holiness. Holiness before God requires a relationship with God. There is no holiness apart from God. There is no real peace, no real wisdom. All the things that we read about here in Proverbs, none of that is true and genuine without Jesus Christ. We need a relationship with Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We need Jesus Christ. In Acts 4.12, the Bible says, Peter preaches there. He says, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Speaking of the name of Jesus. So if you truly desire holiness, and I hope that you do, we all as Christians should desire holiness. And even as a lost person that God is wooing, God is drawing, there should be some goal of 
pleasing your creator. And if you truly desire holiness and the benefits of holiness, which we'll talk here about in a moment, it begins with accepting Christ as your personal Savior. Accepting Jesus as that payment for you on the sin of Calvary, on the cross of Calvary rather. Accepting Him as your personal Savior. Then I realize that you come to church and you hear maybe the pastor going on and on about salvation. You're like, oh, I already know all of this. Don't get to that point. Never get over the cross. Help the, uh, Use the cross to keep you on focus. Use the cross to make you stay invigorated for the things of God. In a statement to His apostles in John 15, Jesus said, Without me, ye can do nothing. That's applicable to us as well. Without me, ye can do nothing. So before we go any further this morning, I want to ask, are you sure that you are a child of God? Are you a child of God? Have you been redeemed? Have you given your sins to Jesus Christ? Not just yesterday's sin, today's, but even tomorrow's, your entire sin nature. Have you given it to Jesus Christ? Have you repented of yourself before God? Do you know for sure that your sins are forgiven? Do you know for sure that you have eternal life? a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. At the end of the sermon, we're going to come back to that. But for those who truly know Him this morning, which I would suggest is probably the majority of us, for those who truly know Him this morning, to those who have come to worship their best friend this morning, I want to point out a few byproducts of your holiness. A byproduct, some byproducts of your holiness. Things that you get because of holiness that you're not really searching for. You're searching to please God. You're searching to be holy because you love Him. But there are some benefits that come along with that. Now you might be asking, or maybe even thinking, if holiness was imputed upon me when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, how could I possibly add to that? Well, good question, and I'm kind of glad you asked. The answer is that you cannot add to God's holiness. We all know this. David wrote in Psalm 16, verse 2, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. My goodness doesn't reach God. And praise God, though, that by grace through faith, God's goodness does reach us. God's goodness has been extended to us through Jesus Christ. But this is what we call positional holiness. Positional holiness. Positional holiness is God-produced. Only God can do this. It's actually a part of God. God gives us that righteousness when we accept His Son as our Savior. But if you look through the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament, but for more application for us in the New Testament, there's a lot of so-called ought-to passages. In other words, you ought to do this. You ought to do that. These don't have to do with our positional holiness as much as they have to do with what is called our practical holiness how we perform in this world as believers in and followers of Jesus Christ we ought to be holy in practice because we are holy in position this is who we are as a redeemed child of God we are to follow God we are to be holy because he is holy Again, verses 15 and 16 of 1 Peter chapter 1. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And for us this morning, as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ, let's look at, again, some byproducts, just three byproducts of practical holiness. Look again at verse number 1 and 2 of Proverbs chapter 3. 
My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Peace shall be added. There's a couple other things in there, but we're going to focus on peace. We see very clearly that peace is a byproduct of practical holiness. Now, there is an inner peace that comes along with our positional holiness, but when we follow that in practice, there is also some peace that goes along in practice. In these two verses, holiness is characterized by keeping God's law by being obedient, keeping God's law from the heart, resulting in length of days, long life, and peace, which we'll maybe come back to. But think about that for a moment. Keeping God's commandment. What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord with all thy heart, with all thy mind, and with all thy soul, right? If we do that, you cannot do that without knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But when we do that, look at verse 2. Length of days and long life shall be added. We get eternal life. So this verse is still applicable to us, even in those two things. But we're going to focus on the peace this morning. Simply put, true holiness produces true peace. And again, I don't, have, I don't think I have this in my notes, but peace is not the absence of chaos in this world. It's the presence of Jesus Christ in your heart. It's the focus on Jesus Christ in your heart. In the context here, we see that obedience from the heart produces peace. Obedience from the heart produces peace. You could argue that obedience from the heart produces peace in the heart. Because the Bible says, let thine heart Keep my commandments. You know, while, again, Solomon is the likely author here, the words are God's words. These are God's words. Therefore, ultimately, it's God's commandments that we are to obey with our hearts, from our hearts. Obedience. Ephesians 6, 6 states that we are to obey the Lord. And it says we are to obey the Lord not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God, no surprise, from the heart. From the heart. Not with eye service. We don't, we don't come to church so other people can see me coming to church. I don't read my Bible when my children were living here, and, and I miss them very much, but I don't read my Bible in the morning hoping that Johnny would come down the stairs. Oh, look at that. He's reading his Bible again. Now, there's some good things that, good example I'm setting, of course, but that's not what we read. We follow the Lord, not with eye service, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Now, this type of obedience is not a forced obedience. It's not forced. It's from the heart. Our service to the Lord is not slave labor. It's a labor of love. It's love labor. 1 John 5, 3 says, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. They're not tedious. You know, more than once throughout Scripture is our love for God connected to our obedience to God. More than once. And again, his commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. In other words, following the Lord is not a burden that must be taken care of. Following the Lord or reading our Bible shouldn't be like doing our taxes. I mean, nobody wants to do our taxes. And we get up in the morning and we look at our scriptures. It shouldn't be like oh, a 1040 easy. What in the world? No, we should be falling in love with the Lord. It shouldn't be a burden like mowing the grass or, some, or so forth. Christians are to love following the Lord. Having a regular communication with God through prayer, coming together to worship, are not tedious things we have to do. Praise God. They are wonderful things that we take pleasure in. Amen? 
Amen. These things produce practical holiness. And holy Christians don't need to be prodded to do the right thing. We do the right thing because we are positionally holy. When a true child of God obeys, peace follows. Not world peace. Not peace as the world giveth, but peace as Jesus gives it. Inner peace. God's peace. True peace in the heart is connected to obedience from the heart. And even the peace of God which passeth all understanding in Philippians 4, y'all have read that a few times, it is the result of obedience to God by making our request known unto Him. God says, do this, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall be upon you. Peace, a byproduct of practical holiness. But notice also verse 3. The Bible says, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt, thy, so shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Another byproduct, and there's many, by the way. We're just talking about a few this morning. Another byproduct in this passage here of practical holiness is grace. You know, if we don't let mercy and truth forsake us, we're going to find favor with God. Right here out of the, out of the Bible. And of significance, this word here, used for favor, was first used in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, translated as grace. But Noah found grace, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, we don't have to wonder how Noah found grace, do we? I mean, maybe you go back there in Genesis 6, we can kind of see the great picture. Noah was a man of righteousness, but we get preacher of righteousness also from the New Testament. Uh, but we see that God looked at him and God and Noah found grace. But we don't have to wander too much because of Proverbs chapter 3 on how Noah found grace. Because he did so by not letting mercy and truth forsake him. Look at the verse again. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thy, thou find favor. Thou find grace. He found grace because he did these things. But you might also ask, how do we... How in the world do we not let mercy and truth forsake us? What does this mean? It's interesting. The Bible doesn't say don't forsake mercy and truth. It says don't let mercy and truth forsake thee. But in context, we see the answer to that is to bind them about thy neck and write them upon the table of thine heart. Now, binding, binding them around thy neck may be like a necklace. And these, these things, these two stones may be, may be um, favor or... Um, was that mercy and truth on a, on a necklace maybe falling down around your neck, hanging right above your heart? Reflecting the mercy and the truth which is written upon your heart. In other words, we are to outwardly adorn what we inwardly possess. God's given us, as a child of God, mercy and truth in our positional holiness. We're supposed to adorn them on the outside. We're supposed to wear them so the world can see them. We are to outwardly adorn what we inwardly possess. We are to express to others the mercy and truth that God has expressed to us and even given to us in our hearts. We are to show mercy. Or put differently, we are to be graceful and, truth and truthful at all times. Kind and honest. Sounds pretty simple, right, Christians? We probably learned that in maybe, in maybe kindergarten or maybe in, in Sunday school when we were, we were this high or this tall. Kind and honest. Christians are to be kind and honest. 
sometimes I think as we grow older, we get away from those simple truths of being just simply kind and honest. You know, John 1.17 states that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You know, no other person can ever convey a purer truth in such a gracious way than did, than did Jesus Christ. And He's our pattern. So get that now. We, we're supposed to give the truth, but packaged in grace. The grace is not supposed to take away from the truth. Give the truth in grace. Jesus is the epitome of holiness. And He lived a graceful life. He came in grace. By grace are you saved. He is our pattern. Our countries, our communities, our churches, our families need Christians who show mercy without diluting the truth. Show mercy without diluting the truth. We could probably stay there for a while. We are to show mercy without diluting the truth. And when this is done, in some measure, we're going to find grace. And we're going to find good understanding in the sight of God and man. Verse 3 again states that we should bind these things about our necks and write them upon our hearts. You know, we should simply be people of integrity. I remember when I was in high school, and I remember this because in my mind, it's the first time I chose to be honest on purpose. And this is a silly story. But we were lining up in, in elementary school, and it's after recess, recess and, and we're behind the, uh, the water fountain, and everybody's getting a drink of water, and it become a fun thing to do. And as the boys would get their drink of water, somebody else would hit the back of their head and push their head into the, into the water fountain. Not hurt them anything, but water would go all over your face, you know, and they would laugh about it, you know. And so it would be, you know, the person would get a drink of water, he'd get his face wet, he'd stand next to here, and he'd get the next guy's face wet, you know. So I was going through there, whatever, and I was with one of my friends, and I got to my point, I got water all over my face, and I got to the point, and he was coming up here to get a drink of water, and he looked at me, I was like, I'm not going to do it. He's like, are you sure? I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And I didn't do it, and he walked away. And as silly as that is, the Lord has had me re uh, remember that. And the conclusion that I came with, I can be honest. I can be honest. And all of us can be honest. God has given us the ability to be honest. We just must make it a point to be honest. We are to be a people of integrity, to be honest. And that goes to every avenue of our lives. We are not to be liars. We're to be honest people. Grace follows those things. Mercy and truth. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 8.21, we are to provide for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men, specifically in the sight of God, which is always, but also in the sight of men. Be honest. But notice also that we are to be merciful and truthful in this passage because when we are not, we'll come back, we, we've come back to this, not only do we forsake these attributes of God, they forsake us. What does that mean? What does it mean for mercy and truth to forsake us? My takeaway is that there is never going to be a time when God's mercy and truth is going to accommodate your actions or accommodate my actions. They're not going to change. They will forsake you before they forsake the definition of being mercy and true. They will never forsake, forsake themselves. God indeed loves every single one of us more than we will ever know. But He will not change His attributes for any one of us. Not one. He will always be merciful. He will always be just. He will always be holy. He will not change those things 
for any one of us. And as I was putting this together and praying, my conclusion was at the moment, I was in my office in my study, and that thought came to my mind, and, and I told the Lord, it's like, you know, knowing this, it's a true statement. It's not anything new, I hope. But knowing that God will not accommodate every single one of us, does it not put him out there a little bit farther? It makes him even greater. It makes him even holier. And if we're not careful, it makes him a little bit more distant than we are. He's not going to. I might accommodate. You know, I was talking to my wife about this. You know, if, if my son maybe he got in an accident or, and he caused the accident and I knew the truth and we go to court and all those things there, you know, a earthly father may be tempted to not tell the whole truth when his son's on the stand. Right? Y'all follow me? Because it's his son. It's not going to happen with God. He will always be just. He will always be true. It's not going to accommodate. That's, that's one of the reasons, the reason why we need Jesus Christ so much. Because Christ died for us. Those little white lies that we tell, those sins, those, those small sins that we think, oh, God's going to wink at those things and be okay. He's not. He will not tolerate them. That's why we need the blood of Jesus Christ, because he paid for every single one of them. Praise God. He will not change his attributes for any of us. And if we desire to find grace before God and man, we are to be merciful by showing grace to others, by being true to others. Grace is a byproduct of practical holiness. Practical holiness. And then look at verse number five and six. Probably the one of the most popular passages in the book of Proverbs. The Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. One of the other byproducts of practical holiness is direction. Now, by these, I'm not saying that God can't give peace, God can't give grace or direction when we're not living right for Him, but He's obligated to do so when we follow His Word. God obligates Himself. But this byproduct is a little different than the previous two. Notice again, for a length of days, long life, and peace, we must keep His commandments. To find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man, we must let not mercy and truth forsake us. But for direction... We must trust the Lord with our whole heart. We must rely not on our own understanding, and we must acknowledge Him in all our ways. These three commands for one response. Three commands for one response. Actually, you could say these first two commands are opposite sides of the same coin. To understand something has to do with the mind. So we are to trust God with our hearts and with our minds. We are to trust Him with our whole being, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, all of it. Trust God. And trusting God this way means that even when life is not clear, we are to trust God. Even when standing by your convictions that seems hazardous, we are to trust God. In the Old Testament, Job cried unto God with compassion. He cried, under him for, cried unto God many times, desiring to know the reason for his suffering. God began his reply in Job chapter 38, four chapters of God speaking. And you know, in all those four chapters, God does not answer Job's question. He does not answer the reason why Job is suffering. God does not owe us anything. He doesn't owe us a question. But I like the way Job or God 
uh, begins that, that dialogue. He is, where were you when I laid the foundation? Actually, even prior to that, he says, who is this that darkens counsel without knowledge? To Job, God says this. So God doesn't owe us an answer. But in Matthew 4.19, Jesus called James and John from their father's fishing boat. And he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The Bible says they immediately left their nets and followed him. They didn't ask any questions. They just followed. So in those two, those two contrasted uh, examples there, sometimes God gives us guidance on what's next. Sometimes he doesn't. But in all cases, we are to trust him. We are to follow God. He wants us to trust him fully. Psalm 118.8 says, It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. This includes self. This includes confidence in me. It's better to trust in the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that we are to sit back and let God do all the work. That's not what it means. There's, a, there's an old saying back in the Civil War, I think, that Christians were fighting back and forth. And we don't get in all the reasons why they had a, a war between the states, whatever you want to call that. But one of, the, one of the guys says, praise the Lord or trust in the Lord, but pass the ammunition. Or trust in the Lord, but keep your powder dry. So we are to trust in the Lord, but it doesn't mean we're to sit back and not do anything. Uh, Psalm chapter 127, verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. This doesn't tell us not to labor. It doesn't tell us to sleep through our guard shift, but that in our labor, in our watching, we are to trust God. Trust God. And not doing so would be foolish. We are to trust Him with our whole heart and lean not on our own understanding. That's a verse that goes against everything that we're taught. Lean not on your own understanding, but trust the Lord. But remember that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Isaiah 58 or 55 verses 8 and 9 says, God says to Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And back in Proverbs chapter 3, we see that trusting God is only half the equation, though. We are to also acknowledge Him in all our ways. Look at that verse again. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. We are to acknowledge God in all that we are. I believe, quite with conviction, one of the gravest sins of all time especially even in my own life, is not acknowledging the Lord. You know, one of the ways to define the word acknowledge is to make famous. Who do we make famous? We all know the names of sports players, silver screen celebrities, and sometimes those around us know more about who our favorites are in those arenas than they know about the Lord. Who are your favorites? We acknowledge so many things in this world from our favorite restaurants to our personal accomplishments. But how often do we acknowledge God? I used to have a, I, do, I still have a cousin and he had a certain thing about him. And you around him for five minutes, everybody knew that that was what he believed. And it had nothing to do with the Bible. But you would say, hey, you remember my cousin? So, oh, yeah, he's the guy that does this. I'm like, nothing to do with the Bible, but professed to be a Christian. All we knew was that certain thing that he acknowledged that wasn't Jesus Christ. How often do we acknowledge Jesus Christ? Do we acknowledge his existence, his power, his providence, uh, 
Do we acknowledge His working in our life? Do we make Jesus famous? I heard before, maybe you've heard this before, that one of Satan's tricks is convincing people that he doesn't exist. Y'all have heard that before, maybe? I think maybe one of his more deceptive tricks is convincing people that God doesn't exist. And his techniques are very effective in this fallen world. Societies, colleges, churches even, that used to firmly stand on the Word of God, used to acknowledge God, are just falling away. Not acknowledging God in anything. He's not acknowledged in our communities, in our schools, in our history books even, even science books. I think many families, unfortunately, many Christians, fail to acknowledge God on a daily basis. And I believe it's in my life, there's never a point where I'm arrived, if you will, I want to do more. I want to acknowledge Jesus Christ more. And looking at my own self, it's past time for me to wake up and acknowledge Him more in all that I do. And in our acknowledging of God, if you're with me, and I hope that you are, you want to go out from these doors today and acknowledge Him as much as possible. But I challenge you not just to acknowledge God, but specifically acknowledge the Son of God. That's a difference. You say praise God and somebody, they're like, praise God too. Praise Jesus Christ, and it changes things. Use the name of Jesus in a right way, not in the wrong way. Praise Jesus. Acknowledge Jesus Christ. Acknowledge Him as your personal Savior, as families, as individuals, as a church. Let's make Jesus famous. Because when we trust Him with our entire being, and we acknowledge Him in all our ways, the Bible states that He gives direction. Direction. Trusting God and acknowledging God are just two more ways to live out our holiness before God. But in this passage here, we all want direction. I mean, if there's one prayer that's true of any serious Christian that repeats itself over and over and over again, what is the will of God for my life? Right here we find how to get that direction. Acknowledging God. Trusting God. And again, these are just a handful of ways for us to live out our holiness to get these byproducts from God. Practical holiness because of our positional holiness. Living righteous on the outside because God has made us righteous on the inside. Not to earn that righteousness, but because of that righteousness. Proverbs 37, 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. In and of ourselves, there is none good. Not one of us. But in Christ we are made righteous. Romans 10.10 10 says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And speaking of our faith in Jesus Christ, who was obedient even to the death of the cross, as Philippians 2 talks about, Romans 5.19 says, By the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, many shall be made righteous. You can be made righteous. That means you exchange your wickedness for His righteousness. Many shall be made holy. And because God is holy, we are to be holy. And remember, our positional holiness begins with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. For without Him, John 15, 5 says, we can do nothing. We must be a child of God. Are you a child of God? Are you living out your righteousness on the outside? Are you living it? Are you adorning these things on the outside? Or are you really just a private Christian? Make Jesus famous. 
Have you purposely received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you are these byproducts? And we'll close with this. Are these byproducts of peace, grace and direction evident in your life? Let's pray.